0: This week we're continuing our series on the Beatitudes um, series, you know, exploring what Jesus was teaching his disciples about uh, on one of his most famous passages uh, in Scripture that we all know as the Sermon on the Mount, whereby Jesus does this sermon to the masses and then retreats up to the top of the mountain with his closest twelve, his disciples. And um, starts to reveal to them some of his most, you know, um, I think sacred existential teachings. Um, The Beatitudes, the word Beatitude comes from another word which means happiness. And essentially, what Jesus is doing here is talking about how we, in our existence, can be happy. And he elevates certain modes of existence with certain modes of. I think, reward, Um, and he frames it, you know, uh, poetically, you know, blessed are those who are comforted, sorry, blessed are those who hunger, uh, they'll be comforted. Blessed are those, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. And this week I'm going to be talking about blessed are those who mourn, uh, for they will be comforted. And what Jesus is doing here, you know, when he talks about these themes I think sometimes it's more subversive than we allow it to be or even want it to be. Because these conditions that he's talking about, the word blessed, usually in the Bible means happy, but in Matthew 5 it most probably means like an enviable state. And so to put people who mourn, people who hunger, people who are peacemakers, not powerful. These are the ones who are blessed. These are the ones who are in an enviable state. For they will be insert good condition, comforted, filled, inherit the kingdom of God, etc., etc. And this is quite like countercultural for us, and I dare say would have been for those listening to him. You know, in this kingdom of heaven, kingdom of earth, kind of binary that Jesus is talking out of, the kingdom of heaven looks very different to what the disciples and and us as we put ourselves in their narrative and respond to the teachings of Jesus and our conceptions or his conception of what the kingdom of heaven would be, we go back and we go, I don't know if I'd want that. I mean, for the disciples and, and Jewish culture, essentially they were looking for this liberator, someone to come and take over and make some Roman heads roll. But Jesus says, no, 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 blessed are the meek, blessed are the weak, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are hungry. And I think in doing so, he speaks to our human condition. You know, all of us have experienced not knowing, lack of experience, lack of happiness. lack of fulfillment, lack of health, we feel pain. Instead of belief, we often doubt. And Jesus, in presenting the mode of God, finds himself in our full human condition, creating solidarity with it, weeping, crying, bleeding, suffering, hungering for us, and in doing so, redeeming the situation. And how many of us have been in situations where we are hungry or we are mourning and someone comes up to you and they say, it'll be okay. How does that make you feel? It's kind of not meeting where you're at at all. It's not engaging that part of your humanity, whether you like it or not, is the part that you are experiencing. No, what really helps is when someone comes along and says, that really sucks. I'm sorry to hear that. And suffers there with you. And by doing so, redeems the situation. And this is what we see in Jesus. And I think it's something we can sentimentally herald and hold in high regard. But when it actually comes to the crunch, we're often uncomfortable with it. And why is that? Why is this part of our existence, this mourning, this sadness, this brokenness, something that we shun and not engage? I thought about this and and there are a few reasons I can think off the top of my head and there's potentially more. Is it insecurity? Is it the fact that we're insecure about our powerlessness? We're insecure about the parts of our existence that are not ideal and so we just don't talk about it because we don't want to raise up something that makes us feel bad. It's because of our tribal identity, this instinct that we have. We don't want to let the tribe down. We don't want to be the weak link. Is it even hedonism, where we want to please the senses all the time at the cost of engaging ourselves as we are. Or even is it cultural baggage? Is it the Stoicism of Greek philosophy that we just inherit? Is it Western imperialism? Is it American materialism where success is happiness, power? That causes us to just overlook this part of our existence, this mourning, this suffering that we're inevitably going to go through. And what's so subversive about Jesus, in his most intimate teaching, with his most intimate friends, is that to be in an enviable state is to live as you are, is to mourn. And in that mourning, as you engage it as it is, you will be comforted. And this is telling of Jesus' wider ministry. Our redemption is in, in his dying, in his pain with us. God is found with the broken. There's this Buddhist parable that speaks to this. There's a woman and she loses her child. Her child is just a toddler, young. And unable to deal with her grief and loss of her child. The lady cannot bury her, but seeks to bring her back from the dead. And so she asks the rest of the villagers for a solution, for something that can bring her daughter back to the dead. And the villagers say there's a man who lives on a mountain, that mountain. And if you follow it about halfway up, you'll find a river. And on the other side of that river, there'll be a house. And in that house, there lives a man, and he'll be able to bring your daughter back to life. And so she ventures up the mountain, and takes the body of her, of her dead child. And she comes across the river and she crosses it and she finds the house and she knocks on the door of that house and an old man answers the door and she says, I live in that village down there, pointing to where she came. Or came from, sorry. And the villagers told me that you can help me. You see, my daughter has died and I can't let her go. I can't let death's grip have its final say. Can you help me? And the old man says, yes, I can help you. What I'm going to need to help you through this is a mustard seed from a house that has not been touched by pain or suffering. Bring me this mustard seed and your daughter will be healed. Your pain will be healed. And so with this instruction, she goes back to the village. And as she knocks on each door and is invited in and asks the question, seeking to find this mustard seed that's been untouched, she starts to share and hear stories of suffering and pain and affliction that everybody in the village has at some point in their life experienced. And as each of the villagers share their own stories, She's able to come to grips with her own and is able to move on from her pain and bury her daughter. Within that story, the wisdom of it is that there's not always a magical remedy to the problems that we have, power does not always solve weakness. But solidarity with our human condition as we are redeems us. And so is the same with the lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples and teaching us to not shun our mourning, to not shun our sadness, but engage with it as it is. And furthermore, having that conscious experience of mourning and of sadness and having experienced it to go out and redeem others in their sadness and their mourning because we're able to engage them with our own experience and we're able to have solidarity with them and redeem that experience just as Christ redeemed ours and our brokenness and our pain and our sadness by experiencing our brokenness, by experiencing pain, by experiencing sadness. One of my favorite theologians, Richard Raw, says, Jesus praises those who can enter into solidarity with the pain of the world and not try to extract themselves from it. And it's impossible for one to live without tears, who considers things exactly as they are. And in a world as it is, we are called as Christians to join the redemptive narrative of God as manifest and shown to us in Jesus to engage the world as it is with our own pain, to give solidarity to it and to ultimately redeem it. It's interesting that often the greatest joys are experienced after the greatest sadnesses. I don't know the metaphysics of emotion, but I do know that on a chemical level, once you've cried, it releases a whole bunch of serotonin, this chemical, that causes great happiness and elation. Even our bodies seem to be geared. And as we treat ourselves as we are and our situations as they are with sensitivity, I dare say, like Jesus teaches, that when we do the same, we can experience comfort unparalleled. When we are mourned or when we mourn, And when we mourn with others, we, them, and the world experience comfort unparalleled. And so the questions, like every week that we go through, I would encourage you to to think on these and to discuss these with people you feel comfortable with and to start conversations around your own mourning and your own sadness and the sadness and the mourning of the world around you, how you deal with it. Question 1. Do you think that sadness or melancholy or not being happy is a good thing? Question two, how do you overcome sadness or hunger, lack? And question three, when do you feel most comforted?